Blockbusted, the movie review podcast for two rejected character designs ask, what's scarier, murderous robots or a redhead? I'm Mitch. I'm Max. And today we are looking at Nimona and the Mitchells vs. the Machines. Hi Max, how are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. Are you good to bust some blocks? Dude, I am in what you would consider a blockbusting mode. Like the mode in which to be blockbusted. The mode in which to be and to do some busting of blocks. The busting the blocks. D- just bust all up in those blocks. It's so hard. And fast. Hard and fast, busting in the blocks. And I think a good place to start with busting some blocks is with Max and Mitch's mini-media. My mini-media this week is going to be Sisu, which is a 2023 film that's just in theaters right now, directed by Jalmari Helander. Uh, I may have just butchered that name, and I'm going to butcher everyone else's name because it's a foreign film. Uh, it's set in Finland and it follows um, a character called uh, Atami, played by Jorma Tomilla. And he's kind of like this John Wick character, man of few words, but uh, all action, really angry, that type of too angry to die type thing. Mm-hmm. You, know that, you, know that, you know that stereotype? Yeah. Yeah, much like Doom Slayer or John Wick even. Uh, and he's, he's kind of an older gentleman as well. Older than who I think John Wick is meant to be, but like, you know, uh, it's so much John Wick that when you search up Sisu, one of the related questions is, is Sisu related to John Wick? Yeah. Nice. That's, that's how John Wick it is. Um, but it is great. Uh, I had a great time, not brilliant story, but you watch an old Finnish man murder a bunch of Nazis in creative and fun ways. And that's really all I asked for the movie to do. And it did well. That's good. And the action was good. The action is good. It's it's shot really well. It's not John Wick gun food. It's more uh, for people to understand. It's more uh, Rambo First Blood, as in guerrilla warfare type thing, uh, which I think is great because the Rambo movies have not been giving us that recently, and it's nice to see that other movies still can. Does it tell you like what Sisu means? Yeah. So Sisu, if I remember correctly, is a word that doesn't can't actually directly be translated into English. Right. But it's basically determination and something else. White knuckled, a white knuckled form of courage and unimaginable determination in the face of overwhelming odds. That's what Sisu means. Cool. But yeah, no, if you want to watch Nazis die in a horribly gruesome manner, this is the movie for you. Cool. What about yourself? Yeah, so I've gone completely other end of the spectrum. Um, I have started checking out the recently released uh, mobile game. I know I did a mobile game last week as well, but I'm going to do a mobile game again. Um, the recently released mobile game Pokemon Sleep. Uh, it's a game where you sleep in real life, um, and then you get things in the game. Uh, I have multiple questions. Uh, to put it, yeah, that that is what it is. Put uh shortly, but it encourages you to like collect Pokemon and befriend Pokemon and use the use them to find food and berries and things that help your Snorlax, which puts all the Pokemon on the island to sleep. This is starting to get like weird, but. Um, it helps you get more points when you sleep and the more you sleep, the better your score is. So it's basically just, a. it was, I think sort of inspired by the effect Pokemon Go had on people to go out and get people going out and walking around and doing exercise and stuff. And, um, Pokemon company was like, why don't we exploit this for more money? More money, please. So, um, now I... Look at the Snorlax on my phone every night before I go to sleep. Also, the <coughs> alarm doesn't work in it at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> so I almost, I almost didn't wake up for work this morning because the alarm didn't go off. Wait, so you use Pokemon Sleep's alarm, not I the use, actual? I use Pokemon alarm. Sleep's alarm. I well, I had my phone's alarm, and it was like on, but I was waiting for the Pokemon Sleep alarm, and it went off, but the sound didn't go. 
um, and it's a known bug. Um, very cool. <laughs> the game's very the game's fun. Okay. Um, which is a weird thing to say about a game that's like, yeah, go get eight and a half hours of sleep and then come back. Do you meet the quotas each night? Like you specifically? No, I got like under eight hours last night, but that's because I am not good at sleeping. Is I'm lacking in the sleep department. I mean, it's just a just a way of life for a blockbuster. I'm yeah, I'm too busy blockbusting. Got to be on that busting grind. Yeah. Well, that is, I think, the end of Max and Mitch's mini media this week. And today's theme for our main discussions. Uh, Netflix animated exclusives. Uh, spoiler alert for the two movies we're talking about today, which is The Mona and The Mitchells versus The Machines. So first off, we're going to talk about The Mitchells versus The Machines, directed by Michael Rianda and released in 2021. It stars Annie Jack- Jacobson as Katie Mitchell, Danny McBride as Rick Mitchell, Maya Rudolph as Linda Mitchell, Michael Rianda, the director, as Aaron Mitchell and Olivia Coleman as Powell. Max, what was this movie about? We actually have something written down this week, which is great because uh, for those of you who are listening last week with Barbie, I'm just, I'm sorry. Um, but here we go. Katie Mitchell is an outsider. Um, and like any outsider, she has aspiring uh, dreams of becoming a film director, uh, like both of us. Yeah, I would say uh, so. <laughs> Um, before she can get to uh, the film school that she's enrolled at, um, her dad cancels her, her dad, uh, Rick Mitchell, cancels her plane ticket and says uh, to her that they're all going to go on a family road trip, which is immediately interrupted by the machine apocalypse. And so uh, being a uh, lucky young person and a weird family, they have to go save the world. And what did you think about it? I really liked it. I think I said exactly the same thing last week. Um, I keep saying that. I'm not going to say that anymore. No, I really enjoyed this film. I had a lot of fun with the story and the humor and the style in which it was animated. It gave off almost like a Lizzie McGuire sort of vibe, if you remember that from back in the day. I don't think I ever really watched Lizzie McGuire. <laughs> It's like it was the like show where you had um the like animated bits over the top of the live action people. I don't remember Lizzie McGuire. Okay. I'm sorry. That's all I'm, right. a, I'm a bad Gen Z Gen Zeta. I think it's a bit older, but is it? Um, oh, then it makes me feel a bit better. <laughs> but the point is, I like I really enjoyed it. I had a really fun time with it. Um, the writing was really good. Uh, the animation was really good. And yeah, I had a really good time. I know you've seen this a couple more times than I have. I have, yes. But what what are your thoughts on revisiting it again? I adore this film with all my heart and soul. <laughs> I think it's one of the best films ever made. It without Most movies don't elicit much of an emotional response from me. That's not, a, that's not an issue with films in general. That's just me being... I just don't, I don't get that emotional. I still enjoy movies and I still get enjoyment from films, but the actual emotional responses that movies usually want me to have, I don't have, which makes me sound psychotic, but. Um, no, I mean, I'm exactly the same. I'm like, I will watch a movie and know I'll sit there going like, I know you want me to feel sad here. And like, maybe every now and again, a film will get me to do that. But most of the time, not like, even, <laughs> if, even if it's a great film, there's very few films that made me like, go. I'm actually upset by this. I mean, this movie, every, even, even movies that do get me to have emotional response at the, if I watch it on the second or third time, I won't have that same reaction. Cause I'll know it's coming mm. without fail. When this is spoilers, this, I'm going to into the spoilers basically without fail at the end of this movie. Okay. No, sorry. At the start of the movie, when Rick Mitchell is lamenting over his broken down relationship with Katie and he watches the videotapes that show her when she was a lot younger and it shows the origin of the moose, which is a reoccurring. So the moose, there's a wooden carved moose that is shown kind of as a, 
I'd say a bit of a motif slash representation of the relationship between Katie and Rick Mitchell, like how they view this muse, muse, muse kind of views how healthy their relationship is at points in, through the film. And at the start, when you see him give it to her, when I first watched that movie, the movie, I was kind of like, oh, that's cute. And I feel a bit sad for him. Obviously, he's lamenting this. But now that destroys me because I now know what happens at the end of the movie. I know where that moose comes from because at the end, not only because I think it's a back-to-back slammer because there's the reveal where Katie goes on about how she lied to Rick about she she lied to Rick about needing him to her brother, which this is midway through the film to get to basically to answer the call to action. She tricks her dad into believing that she believes in him. And then, the, obviously, the villains who are sentient machines have the ability to just record everything everywhere because everything's got cameras everywhere. And they show this to the family. That part kills me, his reaction to that. But then right after that, you get the section where you see where the, that the wooden moose was a carving in the stairs of Rick Mitchell's dream house that he built and then had to leave to make sure that his daughter had a good life. Oh ruins me every time yeah it's it's really like a, that really like sucker punch once like like not only did she betray him but he did he put his whole like life aside to give her what he thought she needed and obviously he's not good at showing it because he's a dad and some dads just can't do emotion my dad's great with emotion by the way so this isn't a reflection <laughs> on my relationship with my father at all I have a great relationship with my father. And he's probably listening right now and shaking his head that I'm saying this on um, audio. <laughs> I have a great relationship with my dad. I feel like I should... Uh, <laughs> both my parents, actually. I don't want to think it's telling my mom's not great either. Both my parents, great relationship. But still just... like Because, I mean, as teenagers, I don't know if you had this, but I said a lot of shit that sometimes... Obviously didn't destroy my relationship with my parents because I have a brilliant one with them now. But back in the... I look back, I'm like, that was uncalled for. I didn't need yeah, to say that. No, I, yeah, teenagers are dumb. It ca- every teenager had that. That's not something I think is exclusive to me. I think every teenager goes, I was rude and mean. Because, you know, teenagers are rude and mean. They're hormonal little shitheads. We're all like that at that age. But it just reminds me of that. And it's like, obviously, it's amplified to an nth degree because you have these visual aids to show how Katie has been mistreating her dad this whole time. Oh, it kills me, man. And no other movie really manages to do that every single time I watch it. Oh, <laughs> um, I think it's it's it got me. I watched this movie when it first came out in 2021. It was a movie I was very excited to watch because I knew Lord and Miller were involved. Um, mm-hmm. For context, Lord and Miller being the people who did the first Lego movie, directed the first Lego movie, and the first Claudio the Chance of Meatballs, which I think are also brilliant films. They didn't direct this one, as mentioned before. They produced it, but they also were heavily involved in the creative process of the two mm-hmm. Spider-Verse movies that have come out, and the third one. And I think that's general consensus that those movies, even though they're not directors of, they had a lot of um, creative control in that, and they those are brilliant films as well. Yeah, it seems to look like they have an ongoing relationship with the Sony Animation yeah, Studios. Yeah, and they are single-handedly redeeming Sony Animation Studios after the Emoji film. <laughs> oh, don't even talk <laughs> they're about the it. Only, they are oh, and man, because then this is probably, I think, one out of, there's three films or four now, I'd say, that I would say look like this. The first one being Spider-Verse, second one being this one, and then there's another film called Enter Galactic that came out with Kid Cudi's uh, album with the same name, which is also a Netflix exclusive. Which is really good, by the way. Intergalactic is really good. And they all have the same... It's the same base style. But then, obviously, with Spider-Verse, it's more comic book-esque. This one has that more, like... It's it's more eclectic. I can't... It's more, like, more obviously, animated, I think, is what I, I'd I'd, say. I'd describe it as almost, like, you get these overlays of what looks like someone sketching in a line notebook. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that's kind of the vibe that I got, was that... Um, stereotypical book of like um, I have a little book and I doodle in it and it's my little weird doodles that I do yeah. because I don't want to pay attention to school or whatever. Exactly. And I, w- I would, that's a good description of it. And I, yeah, I totally agree. That's exactly what it looks like. I think it looks, ugh. but as a, 
eyes. It's just so hard for me to talk about this film because I love it so much and I have such a connection to it because I watched it when I was going through a bit of a rough patch in 2021 when it came out. Uh, I, uh, there was just a few emotional shit that was going on, which I shall not go into too much detail on the podcast because it's a bit of a downer. But this movie came out just at the right time to kind of give me love when I was like, you know, like, um, and it was just beautiful to watch this very funny but so full of heart film. And I I can't, it, nothing's going to set by that connection, I reckon. I just, I love this movie. And every single time I watch it, I watch it at least once a year, maybe even twice. So I think I'm on my sixth rewatch with this. Um, right. With this, uh, I think, because when it first came out, I watched it maybe three times the week it came out. And so it'd be more than six rewatches then. My letterbox is not sure that because I forgot to put in every single rewatch. But yeah, I'm honestly amazed that it's taken me this long to watch it because I remember seeing, like, eyeing it out when it, when it dropped on Netflix, and um, like I was I was studying animation at university at the time and consuming a lot of like films, a lot of animated films. And it was just something that ended up slipping under my radar. Which I think is insane because this is movies just way up your alley. Yeah, it's great. And I love it. And um, like there were genuinely times in this movie where I was laughing so hard. I could not hear what was going on. That's, that's so awesome to hear. <laughs> the scene with the, like the huge Furby. Oh, I just, the, just the movie is so immaculately written. It's just everything the Furbies say is both kind of bone chilling, but hilarious that it comes from a Furby. <laughs> it's it was very good, and I was just I was pissing myself the whole time because it was just the like the playing on the joke that like Furbies are creepy because they're creepy, and the fact that there's this like huge army of them and um, like they're all sentient now and there's this huge one and all the dialogues written like they're eldritch beings or something. And I just found it so funny. Oh, it is so funny. But I think just that whole, I think that whole scene in the mall. So this is when they go to the mall, by the way. So they, they, they go to the mall of America, I believe. And they're, they're there to upload a kill code that will stop the machine apocalypse. And that whole scene is so funny. Just like the power is like, death, destruction, pesto, like the, the different blenders saying that uh, the toaster that says your toast yeah. and then the characters are like, oh, that's funny. You're a funny little guy, aren't you? And then it re- the reveal that everything's around them. Uh, the tennis racket that has a microchip in it for some reason. I think, yeah, the writing in this film is really funny and the jokes land. I don't think there was a joke that didn't land for me. That really says a lot when you also consider how heartfelt this movie is. It really does a good job at both being incredibly funny and incredibly heartwarming and wholesome and, um, being a good story and not just like a set of gags together. Um, and the fact that it can do that in a tight little package and have a great art style to boot is just a really fantastic thing about this film. The thing that I think is amazing about this film is that the jokes lead into important plot development, important plot devices. And I think like the, obviously the most, the most biggest one is that there's a joke about halfway through where the two robots that have been, that are malfunctioning join the family and they can't figure out whether that the family dog, Monchi, is a pig, a dog, or a loaf of bread and it short circuits them. And that's just a throwaway gag that's hilarious at that time. But then at the end of the movie, the Katie uses it, uses the dog as a way to get through an army of these robots like it's a jerk that comes back that's actually it that, that's not just a jerk it's a setup for a later plot point that's something that i think uh Lord and miller do really well they because they i can't I'm, I'm really blowing my mind on like how to i guess spray on shoes in cloud with a chance of meatballs is what saves the day which is also a throwaway joke at the start of the movie basically oh kind of a running gag i actually i actually want to talk about that because um there's a near identical scene to that cloudy with champs and meatballs scene in at the start <laughs> of this film. 
um, where those who haven't seen it in a long time or haven't seen it, there's a scene quietly with Chance Meeples where Flynn, I think his name is, um, creates spray on shoes um, and demonstrates them in front of his class. Oh, I know exactly what, yeah. <laughs> he's laughed out of it. He's laughed out of it because no one appreciates um, his genius. And you get a really, really similar scene um, here with um, Katie presenting um, one of her films to her class and getting laughed out. Dial B for Burger. I, I have written down here who was traumatized. Which one of Chris and Chris or Miller were? Oh, Chris Lord or uh, Chris Lord or Phil Miller? Uh, Chris Chris Miller or Phil Lord? <laughs> which one? Which one of them? Which one of the two of Chris Miller and Phil Lord? That that's the correct order. Christopher Miller and Phil Ward. And yeah. Phil Ward. Which one of them was traumatized in, in school having to do, like, a presentation? Not only that, which one of them has the shit relationship with their dad that they want to fix? Because uh, Glenville Johnson Meatballs also has an absent father figure. Yeah, that who does they, too. Who doesn't, who doesn't understand them. <laughs> has a really big mustache. It's not as big... Oh, has a really big mustache. It's not as big a plot point, but it's definitely a important part of the story, whereas this is obviously the main focus is the father-daughter relationship. I think what I really like about this movie too is that it doesn't do this thing where we get everything from Katie's perspective and we're like, and we're going, oh, Rick Mitchell is a bad dad and all this. No, we get both sides and we can see why the other one isn't understanding. You can see they're both trying and that neither of them is the bad person. They're just incapable of talking to each other because they have two very different ways to communicate which is not even subtle like the movie goes ahead and says this directly to us when they're in the dinosaur section and and rick is like you need to use your eyes that's nature's camera and katie says no i mean this is how i experience stuff is through this my phone my my like what i create my aunt and he just rick doesn't get that but katie doesn't understand that rick sees what she's doing as distancing where what she because she sees it as a way to get herself closer to him oh it's just it's beautiful. I love it so much. Because then they, when they finally see each other, because he uses her movies to save the day at the robot thing, because it features the dog and the dog can short circuit all the robots at once, and then they do the family song. I love it so much. I can't get enough of it. Can you tell I like this movie? I I can in fact tell you like this movie. I like no, it, it's really it's a really fun movie. It's written really well. It's really funny. The art style is really unique, um, and we get a really interesting uh, animation style on top of that. There's sort of this layered effect that we talked about earlier. You've got the base three D animation that we're seeing. Um, I guess more of in that style. Um, we talked about Spider Verse. Um, the other one that's coming out soon is the. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. It's 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 a similar kind of um, sort of three D in the style of two D, which is awesome, and I love it so much. And Disney can suck a dick. I'm 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 all for going back to let's do more two D animation, but um, I, I won't speak on behalf of uh, the studios at the moment. I guess they're yeah they're having a rough time making anything right now, aren't they? Yeah, they're in the middle of doing whatever they're doing, but as they should be having a rough time doing because hey, you're goddamn well, except A twenty four. We stand A twenty four. A twenty four should do animated films. Hear I me think they will. surely they will once they get bigger. Maybe I don't they're, know. Just, like, not- they're just growing right now. They did. They did TV show recently. Beef. They're branching out. Did they? Beef is a Beef is oh, an A twenty four show. It's their first one, as far as I'm aware. Cool. Um, I also just want to like touch on the cast. I know it's not like there's a couple of people. There's a couple of people in the cast who big names or big names and a couple of the, like smaller names. Um, I think the biggest one for me is Olivia Coleman as Powell. She's great, by the um, way. I love she's her. She's very funny. She's, she's very funny. She's very funny in everything she does, except when she's not. And then but she's being then very she does serious. That good too. She, she's just great. I love her. I really, like, I really loved Olivia Coleman and like, I knew it was her going in and I'd sort of forgotten the first five minutes and then my partner who was watching it pointed out, it's like, that's Olivia Coleman, right? And I'm like, oh my God, yeah, it is. It's just like, she does such a great performance. Um, 
and is such a funny, like, can play a villain like that in such a funny way that, I, I don't know. I really think she, like she did a really great job. Um, but on top of that, you have some there's some really funny like weird casting choices in here. So you've got John Legend and Chrissy Teigen as Jim and Haley Posey, which is like the, the it's not even a real nemesis to the family because they don't see the Mitchells as a threat at all. They're like this perfect family that um want Linda Mitchell wants them to be. I I love like. How it's like, yeah, they're they're the Posey family. Yeah, and it's like it's never explicitly said that they're faking everything, but they're totally faking. It's so everything. fake, yeah. But I also just I think oh, man, like the what the section where they do like the kung fu out of the dinosaur souvenir shop, and then the Mitchells try to copy them. Oh, it's just. Mm, but yeah, continue. Please continue going down the cost list. You have um, Eric Andre as. Um, Mark Bowman, who's the Mark sort Zuckerberg of Zuckerberg Stanton, Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> Stanton. Even Stanton. even though um, Facebook is like referenced in the movie, it's like Mark Zuckerberg slash Steve Jobs rock world into one. It's sort of like tech billionaire who's not aware of their own actions, which really I think gives more Elon Musk than anything else. I think the at moment. the time it would have been probably more Mark Zuckerberg because Elon's yeah. really early. Fucked it in like, the past little bit. The last couple of months yeah. have been real bad. Yeah. Has done some real dumb shit. I'd say 2022, because that's when we got like Glass Onion as well. This was about a year or oh, two years beforehand when they were making it. So, because the, mm. the movie set in 2020, so that makes me feel like they were making it in 2020. Yeah. So you have him, and I I know it's on the nose, like, but I kind of love that the movie is just explicitly, like, just explicitly saying to the audience, tech monopolies are bad. And shouldn't exist. Yeah, I think it's fine that that message is pretty obvious because that's not the movie's main message. <laughs> no. So I think it's fine that that message is over the top and just like, you guys need to stop trusting these people. <laughs> I, I love that, like, like, obviously the main message is about having a good relationship with your family and the fact that your ability to have that relationship can change um, over time. But it's like, it requires work from both sides. Yeah, um, but the secondary message being tech companies are bad, but we're going to make it really explicit. Tech companies yeah. are bad. We'll leave the family stuff up to your interpretation, but this one, no, we're not letting you no. dickheads on Twitter get this wrong. <laughs> tech company bad. You have Maya Rudolph as Linda Mitchell, who has been in a couple of things. Um, yeah, a couple of things. She's been in quite a few things. She's prolific. Um and is quite funny, and I very much enjoyed her performance in this as well. Um, I think we should 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 we just say like a blanket performances are good. Oh, the performances are good. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But yeah, like there's uh, there wasn't a bad performance in this film. I love the like Kill Bill scene. There's two of them. There's two Kill Bill references. Did you catch them? Where's the second one? So, which one do you think? Which one the, are you referencing? So the, there's the one. There's the one where she's fighting like. The black, yeah, that's the more obvious robots. Kill Bill reference. The second, yeah. the fourth, it's actually the first one because it comes before that. There's the, when they walk out of the burning wall, the song that plays is um, Battle Without Honor or something like that, which is a song that was played to introduce Lucy Liu's character in the in Kill Bill Volume One. So there's two Kill Bill references in this film, which is kind of crazy. And just like totally aside, um. From all of that, Griffin McElroy, who I am a big fan of his stuff. He does mostly podcasting now, but um, does some stuff on YouTube and things. Did a whole bunch of additional voices in this film, um, which I just think is funny more than anything else, um, given that I think his only other acting credit is Trolls 3. Is he is Trolls 3 even out? Wait, is it either Trolls 3 or Trolls 2? I don't think Trolls 3 is a thing. Maybe it was Trolls 2. Also, also Conan O'Brien. Um Eric Andre's also in Trolls 3, by the way. Weird. Crazy. He's kind of weird. He's kind—he's the kind of guy you wouldn't think would take part in any production, and then he just kind of like does everything Eric Andre. I think he's asked. Yeah. Did you ever watch um, Disenchanted? I hated it. This had a lot of cast overlap. I hate it. It wasn't the acting I didn't like in that show. I just hated the writing. I it grew on me after a while. Um, I didn't have the time. Also, I didn't. I wasn't like you and watched every single Simpsons season. Look, that's ever been made. Look, 
Are you up to date, by the way? It's, this is I don't season, know, right? I don't know if I'm up to date, but it's easy to be up to date when you've watched all of them. 35 seasons, right? How many was it? 35? Some, uh, I think it's more now. No, but uh, how many did you watch? Uh, a lot. It was COVID. I had a lot of time. But yeah, they had a lot of, there's a lot of cast overlap with um, Disenchanted. You got um, Eric Andre as, um, is, it, is this character named Lucifer? I can't remember the little demon thing. Lucy? It's Lucy? Thing. Lucy? Lucy? That's it. Yeah. It's Lucy. I didn't even watch the show. How come I remember the characters better than you? Because <laughs> I don't remember names. Um, <sighs> Abby Jacobson, who um, played Katie Mitchell um, in- She the Princess? Is is um been in yeah. Disenchanted as well? Yeah, I mean, like what that really says is there's a. Uh, well, did Michael Rianda work on it? I know he worked on Gravity Falls. Because because Alex Hirsch is also in this. Alex Hirsch is also in this. Alex Hirsch, um, who was the showrunner on uh, Gravity Falls, um, as well, the creator and showrunner on Gravity Falls. Um, so uh, yeah, it's pulling from a lot of um like existing voice cast, voice actors and experienced actors it has a really good overall performance as a result of that. And um, really does shine as sort of a, it's not quite an ensemble film, but almost as an ensemble film. And I think it's good. Like it's got like a couple bits of star power in it, but it's very much not a selling point, which it doesn't need because the movie's perfect as it is. The perfect film. Who, who do you think, like who do you most relate to in this film? I want to point out, as I answer this question, upon this movie being completed, I was told I am similar to three out of four of the Mitchells. <laughs> um, I was not likened to Linda Mitchell, but I was likened to both Katie, Rick, and uh, what's the kid's name? Um, Aaron. Aaron. I definitely feel like I'm an Aaron. I Aaron was because at the time I was studying paleobiology as well, so the dinosaurs really came through. I still love dinosaurs now, but it's not as big a I guess it's since it's no longer my degree, it's not as big a point in my life. But the I think the I can't remember what their reasoning behind Rick was, but the fact that I just know films a lot was the the, the hype. I guess it's my hyper obsession was what my my fixation hyper fixation. Is, yeah, I, I feel like films. each each of these um characters like mm-hmm. sort of have their own sort of hyperfixations on things. I, I think that's actually probably a good time to kind of roll into one of the criticisms I've seen in the film, and I want to get your opinion on this. And I don't know if how much of an opinion we can get just due to who we are as a demographic, but I just want to I want to see what you think. This movie features a an a, a, a out and proud lesbian. Uh, Katie is a lesbian throughout the film. It's obvious. Uh, this, is not, this is not horrible. I promise, I promise. This is not horrible. It's just something that I've seen. Um, and like it's shown throughout the film because like the lesbian flag is shown in uh, like a lot of situations, which I think is only obvious to those who are aware of the lesbian flag, which the first time I watched it, I actually wasn't familiar with its colors. Now I am, and it's well obvious. But the movie, what I've seen a lot of people from the LGBTQA plus community have said is that the film is kind of about a father figure coming to terms with his daughter's uh, sexual preference, but doing it in a way that the actual sexual preference isn't what's in question. It trivializes it a bit more by making it about the film school, not about her, her her, her sexual preference. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I I do, I do, and I was one to pick up that the character was queer pretty quickly. She's she wears a rainbow badge, um, badge, and the it's mostly the like little rainbows that appear in the little drawn on extra bits. They're all, of the- les- they're all rainbows of lesbian coloring as well. So I think that's what I think. I I think it was in the back of my mind. I knew, and I obviously wasn't a surprise when it came to the end of the film either. But yeah, I didn't catch it immediately, to say the least. Yeah, I don't know, like, if I would inherently describe it as this film is about this kid and their father having to come to terms with their sexual orientation as much as it is, like, this is sort of a point that's not really addressed and um, whether or not it needs to be addressed is a different question, but I feel like there's definitely 
enough there that they're showing like, hey, this this character is queer, but there's not a lot of, I guess, not a lot of representation in terms of the queerness of that character. It's very much a, I think the reason why I mentioned that the way it's shown is obvious to those who are in the know is that it's very much a side point. It's not, which I don't know if that, not side point, that's a horrible word for it. Um, There's... There's like an ongoing debate about, and there will be for quite some time an ongoing debate about how queer representation and mar- uh, for that matter, um, marginalized representation um, should appear in media and um, whether it's a something that should be at the forefront of a character or something that is just part of the character that gets integrated into the character. Whether, yeah, I don't know whether I would necessarily agree that it is, like, that is the inherent theme of the movie as, as as much as it is, like, about someone growing up and becoming their own person and they're having a, a strained relationship with one of their parents and their parent having to learn about that and the to and fro that comes from that. And I know that that is a very similar experience to people who've had relatives who have struggled to understand something like sexual orientation or gender identity. But I don't think this film specifically does enough to justify that it is about those themes without viewing it through explicitly through that lens. Um, and then once you view it explicitly through that lens, it seems to me that there's sort of, like the representation of that in the film is so few and far between that the point doesn't necessarily hold itself together. So I understand where that criticism is coming from and I understand the basis for that. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I agree with the sentiment. I, th- I see what you're saying. I think the reason, and I should probably actually be done a little bit more research before I put this forward. I think the problem is that there's a bunch of movies that have that seem to have done this yeah. in that they they seem to want to talk about and it's not just like the it's like the race thing like like Bryce wants to talk about race but so making it about black people it's about orcs you know what I mean and it's stuff like that so it's just it, it I think a lot of people will decide thought that this movie is another one in a long list of films that seem to want to talk about something but don't want to actually include the marginalized group or make that the marginalized group the main focus of what of it, even though that's what they want to talk about. I no, I definitely agree. And there are films where this is that is explicitly what's happening. I think because of how this film is framed and the um characters that are in it, the fact that there's a character who is quite young and um still learning about themselves and is somewhere between the age of about 18 and 20 um, is, imp- I think it's implied by the film. It's like, I, for me, it's completely reasonable that it's just them growing up as a person rather than it being about their, like their queer experience. Whereas if it was a different, like if the characters were different ages or if it was in within a different, a slightly different context, then perhaps that's something that I would reconsider. Yeah. I just, I personally don't think, this film is doing that thing. I get you. And that's okay. Cause it doesn't matter. I love it. Um, it does matter. Sorry. I don't know why I said it doesn't matter. It does matter, but I love it. Oh man. I could, I could rant about this film for the rest of this podcast. Should we uh, give our scores? Yeah, we'll, we'll do that. Uh, do you want to go first? I gave the Mitchells versus the machines, uh, four and a half dog cop sequels. Out of five. And uh, I'm giving it five mended father-daughter relationships out of five because it's the perfect film. And it, it is the it is Mitch's block, blockbuster. That's it. It's the blockbuster. It's blo- <laughs> is, is, that, is that what we're doing? The five out of fives are the blockbusters. I mean, that probably makes they're sense. The, they're the blockbusters. They're the, the blockbusters. blockbusters. It's joined the, joining Mitch's list of blockbusted films. Yeah, I think that's it. Well... We'll make we'll make a list on Letterbox. Yep, we will. That's actually a good idea. We'll keep it on our each our individual. Uh, you'll find you can find um, our Letterbox down in the show notes. Um, let's talk about Nimona. All right, so Nimona, directed by Troy Kwan and Nick Bruno, released in 2023, uh, stars Chloe Grace Moretz as the titular character Nimona. 
along with Riz Ahmed as Ballister Boldheart, Eugene Lee Yang as Ambrosius Goldenloin, and Francis Conroy as the director. Max, would you mind telling us what this movie is about? Nimona is about the titular character, Nimona, um, who is a young girl who is a shapeshifter, um, becoming friends with uh, a knight, Ballister Boldheart, who has been falsely accused or framed of killing the queen of the kingdom. I don't know if the kingdom is actually named. I think um, I should call it the kingdom. If I, because remember there's that part where she has the spray can and calls it the kingdom. The, the kingdom. Yeah. I think it's just the kingdom. And Nimona and Ballister uh, go about trying to clear his name um, while coming across various obstacles in the forms of characters and um, maybe a little bit of uh, indoctrination police state stuff. Cool. I think the name Kingdom is appropriate in this movie because it's as bland as this fucking movie This was. movie is not bland. I, I was so bored. I, I, look, hate is a strong word and I'm not going to say I hated it, but I did not like it. I was very bored. How, how, sir? It's a How to Train Your Dragon ripoff, but this time Toothless can talk. Okay, so Nimona is the Toothless, the, the toothless character. Nimona is uh, this monster, and there's all this propaganda, propaganda, propaganda that uh, you know monsters are horrible. And Nimona, uh, look, I'll, I would, I'll be happy to admit that there are certain plot differences to this than the Hell Training Dragon, but the idea of you shouldn't judge people based on how they look and you shouldn't do this and Namorna's actually a great person if you just stopped villainizing her and stopped being a dick. It's just how to train your dragon again, man. It's, she's the dragon. She is toothless. I disagree. I think I think you're wrong. <laughs> um like yes, there are a lot of similarities to that in terms of its plot. You have that um, redemption of the like the historical uh, villain of the society that the main character is in. Um, like in How to Train Your Dragon, that's Hiccup um, becoming uh, friends with Toothless and finding out dragons aren't actually bad. Um, Except yeah, for the it, one, yeah, but big one. Let's not let's not let's not talk about How to Train Your Dragon. Can we instead, please? I like that movie. I'm going to be so petulant through this review. I'm going to be like a little child. Um, this movie is definitely more about allowing for the villainized character to have that voice and the way that that interplays with someone who is who has been ostracized from their society because of things outside of their control. And to me, it's a really nice story of people, especially like Nimona specifically about existing and not having to justify yourself regardless of the expectations of society and the ability to build relationships in the most unlikely of places. Just sounds like you described how to treat a dragon to me. <laughs> I look, look, I think there are points where my heart was actually beating during this film. Other points, it stopped. I will give credit where credit is due. Namona and, oh, sorry, Cluvish Moretz and Riz Ahmed have very good chemistry. I will say their banter is good in quotation mark, because I will come back to this point later. I have an amendment to that. Not an amendment, uh, whatever. You get me. I just, not a single part of this movie did I really properly sit up and say, ooh, that was cool, or ooh, that was interesting, or ooh, I care. I didn't care. That was my problem. And I don't know if that's a me problem, but I just, the movie did not really have me buying in. I wanted to be watching How to Train Your Dragon instead. I knew every single beat that the movie was going to hit story-wise by about 20 minutes in. I figured it out. I knew who the main villain was. I knew that they uh, somehow Nimona and Ballister were going to end up breaking apart for some reason. And I knew by the end they were going to get together and 
there was a high chance. I didn't know this one for sure. This was like a guess on my part. I was like, it's a 50 50 shot. There's a high chance that the Mona was going to sacrifice herself at the end, which she did. That one I won't claim full credit for because I did give myself like a leeway saying, oh, it's a 50 50. She could do it. I won't say I fully predicted that one, but I knew like the other broad strokes. Okay. It, nothing was interesting. I okay, that's a lie. I liked the relationship between Ballister and Ambrosius. That was interesting. I actually liked their chemistry as well. But going back to what I said before about my little addendum to the chemistry, but the, the back and forth between Namona and Ballister, it was just Marvel dialogue for so much of it. It was like. Oh, this guy has a punchable face. This isn't the trailer. Like, the, he's just a bunch of the, yes, his face actually is quite punchable. That's not funny. Just repeating shit isn't funny. Like, oh, and there was, there was, I, I didn't like it. It was so irritating. I was groaning. I was rolling my eyes. How did they think? It felt like I was watching Forspoken gameplay. That's how bad it was. Which, for people who don't know, is a piece of media that everyone has been destroying online. When it came out, because it had freaking Marvel dialogue in it, like the "Oh, that just happened," or "I do this now," or "Is that really what's going on?" or "Speak English," and when someone says something spooky or whatever, like you know what I mean, like oh, just so I, in contrast, quite like this film. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually thought it was. Uh, pretty funny and it's not the funniest film i've seen and there were definitely some jokes that fell more flat than which is allowed to happen it doesn't have to be but i'm glad it worked for you i do want to say this i'm glad it worked for you i really am i felt overall that like it it was a funny film and it was a really charming little film i'm was a really big fan of nimona's character um especially early on when um She's just kind of given into this idea that she's this villain and she goes around sprucing up the villain lair um, because she basically just wants to make a friend. And and I think as the story progresses, it, it, it's just a demonstration of like them coming to, under, their characters coming to understand each other. And um, as much as some of the plot points of B are, are, are ones that you would see that like they've been hashed out before, I think it does a really good job of using those plot points in a way that is effective and endearing and enjoyable to watch for me. So I'm going to struggle to talk about this film without talking about the core point of this film that I think you've missed. All right. Which is this movie is inherently about transphobia. I will definitely say that I haven't discussed that and i i didn't see it as specifically transphobia but now that you say that i do see what you're saying and i would agree however counterpoint just because a movie's subject matter is that doesn't make it good that's that's not what i'm saying okay i'm just saying i'm one of the my discussion is is context dependent on that okay that's fair. I mean, look, and yeah, I'm, I didn't see this while I was watching it. I'm going to be perfectly honest. I checked out pretty early because I was, I hated the dialogue so much and I would be happily, I'll happily admit that I did not give this movie the attention that it probably deserved when I was going to talk about it on a podcast. But I just, I, please, sir, please, you need to take over this part of the okay, conversation. Okay, so, yeah. So, um, rant over now. So, um, the core conceit of this of this uh, is of this movie is that Nimona is um, a young girl, but actually she's a shapeshifter. And um, the core thing that uh, Riz Ahmed's character has to overcome is understanding Nimona's place in the world. And Nimona sticks by this very strong standpoint of not trying to justify their position in the world nor explain how they how they became that way and this um goes on to confuse um Ballister and becomes a core point when he finally gives her the room to be able to be herself without 
um, judgment or questioning. And this is um, my reading of the film is this is a the the telling of a story of an experience of coming out as trans, which is again reflected in the fact that she is a shape shifting transforming character the also the, the film makes no allusion to this in its casting either so many of the supporting cast members are queer involved in the queer community including rupaul yep is eugene you know if eugene lee yang is as well because he sounds familiar as someone who's in the queer community he he was in um fry guys i don't know fry guys on youtube do you mean try guys nope Oh, because it says Try Guys right here. Did I say Fry? Uh, maybe no. It was Try guys. guys. I said Fry Guys. I don't know why I said Fry Guys. It's Try Guys, the yeah. famous one. I don't really know. Is that the one where the guy was like, there was a wife guy and he got kicked out because he was not a wife guy anymore? I don't know, frankly. It was a big thing. Okay, here we go. Yeah, Yang is also known for his work with various human rights and LGBTQ plus advocacy charities. Yeah, the film makes no. Um, conceits about the fact that it is a queer story. The cast shows this, and the author of the original comic, Andy Stevenson, is a member of the queer community. Um, he's non-binary, and um, before he worked on Nimona, they worked on She-Ra, the reboot, um, which I really enjoyed. I don't know if you've seen it. I haven't seen it. Which is also like an explicitly queer piece of media <laughs> yeah but it's a tv show and i don't do tv shows tv shows are movies in disguise and i don't like cowards i yeah i mean i think it's really important to talk about this film in in terms of that context and in terms of the context that it is about about someone coming out as trans and being and not being expected to just justify their identity which i think is the when you say you have like you you keep seeing How to Train Your Dragon. And I think that's the, for me, the key point of difference is in How to Train Your Dragon, obviously Toothless doesn't speak. Um, whereas Nimona doesn't, as a character, doesn't concede to answering um, what I think she in the film calls small-minded questions. And really that is just a direct commentary on people and how, like how the majority of people interact with members of the trans community and um, expecting members of the trans community to justify their existence when um, in reality their existence has no more or less need to be justified than anyone else's existence. And I think the story really like builds around that. But I'm going to like sidetrack. Sure. I want to know your thoughts on the visuals because I'm conflicted. I hate it. <laughs> that's, another, that's another reason why I didn't like this movie. I was going to know once we got past the serious conversation that was – I think definitely a feather in this movie's quiver. But once we got past that, I didn't like the animation in this movie. It looked garbage. Uh, I think there are certain specific moments where it looked okay, but there are other moments where it looked like I was watching an animation put together for YouTube. It was the exact same problem we had with The Covenant. It just looked like an anim- a YouTube thing again. It looked like YouTube quality. I... I, I don't agree with that i think the animation itself was good i struggled with the design the character design the art style a little bit um well i think this may be what i didn't like i didn't like that i was i think my biggest because my biggest complaint for this animation would come from the fight sequence that happens halfway through when for the oh for the freaking third time whatever it is riz ahmed tries to go and talk to um Oh, sorry, Ballister tries to go and talk to Ambrosius because he doesn't freaking learn that this is not going to work and you need to take a different tactic, different point entirely though. Oh, but for the third, for the second or third time, whenever it is, they go and they get surrounded and they have to do an escape or whatever. And there's a point where you can just see knights in the background waiting for their turn to attack. Now, I know a lot of movies and like uh, John Wick does this a lot. And the other action used to that. And it irritates me when they do it, but I get it because it's live action and there's limitations to what you can do. Obviously, you should figure out a way to not have that occur, but you can do it. Animation I have less forgiving for because you can do more and you can control more. Oh, it's 
it, it looked bad. There was just stock people in the background, like waiting. They're like cycling through like NPCs, their animations. It was, it, it looked like an, a Fire Emblem game, which is designed to not be happening all at once. You know what I mean? Like they're designed to be done one at a time. It was. I'm not going to lie. I didn't pick up on that at all. I mean, that's what I always look for when I, when I watch action movies, because I'm a big action movie fan. And I say that as a man who hurts most action movies I watch. I Action is my favorite genre when done well, but it's not done well very often. And I, the first thing you can tell about a good action movie is what other people who aren't in the immediate fight doing. Who, who are the, if there's a group fight, what are the other henchmen doing at that same time? If they're just standing around and waiting, it's been a serious fuck up because it pulls me out every single time. And then you need to figure out a way to stagger, either stagger your fighters or you need to figure out a way to make it that your character can take on that many people at once. So like if you do Spider-Man, Spider-Man obviously is superhuman. He can, he's also just, everything is better. Batman as well. You can do multiple people at once. And the Batman movie is actually guilty of this. There are people who just wait around to punch Batman in the back of the head. And that frustrated me because I would, because Zack Snyder somehow did Batman action better than the freaking the Batman movie did. Point is, though, you have a movie here with a fantasy, a, a, a knight character who I'm willing to suspend disbelief for what they can, that character can do, as well as a shapeshifter, a badass shapeshifter. He's been shown to also just be very good in, at fighting and all that. I'm willing to suspend a whole heap of disbelief to believe that they can take on a bunch of people at once. Do it. Just do it. Don't have cycling people in the background. It's so frustrating to just watch that. It's You can plan so much better in the anime. Mm. Do, you, do you see what annoy? It feels like this movie was made with no pizzazz, no... No love. No one cared, it felt like. I disagree. I, I Again, I didn't pick up on that. I have a feeling that you... I was in a bad mood by this part in the film as well. I feel like you might have done that thing. I know I'm thinking guilty of it sometimes where I'll... like if, I've, if I'm not a fan of something, I'll start to nitpick at it. But I don't know. I Yeah, as I was saying before, I, I think I struggled with the art style a bit, but um, I really enjoyed the way they used lighting in this film. I think they did a really good job with that. I will give credit that the lighting is very nice and it made the darker scenes looked a lot better. It was in broad daylight. I hated it when I was in dark. I was like, this is fine. I don't mind this. So I, I quite enjoyed the the lighting um, design through the film. I think um, they did some really interesting things with that. And I think they did some really interesting things with the special effects, um, especially in that the climax scene. The monster looks sick. I'll actually give you that. The monster, like when she's like that light dark monster that was really cool i will say that that's probably what gave the movie a bit of a boost in my rating was that sequence so the first time i saw that i was like immediately that is the water spirit from the avatar the last airbender oh but yeah that is so true no you're so correct obviously it was enough different for me to be impressed but yeah it was kind of the exact same design not the exact same obviously differences because i mean the was the water spirit's more like a catfish thing and this was kind of more crocodile yeah i felt at least but yeah no i i can see what you're saying it's not even like i didn't want to like it like i did want to like it because i enjoy animation a lot more than i think i do every single time i watch an animated film and i oh, i wanted it to be good and and the fact that you that you've mentioned all that stuff about the transgender themes and all that makes me want to like it even more but i don't i don't like it and i don't think i'm ever going to give it the time to rewatch it again because i don't want to maybe in a few years time i'll rewatch it or something like that but or i I watch someone puts out a uh uh why in the moon is actually the best film ever made um video essay and i click on it to be grumpy and then they trick me into actually liking the movie again and i'll rewatch it then and maybe i'll like it then but right now, I do not like this movie. And it's not horrible by any means. There are many redeeming qualities to it. But with a mixture of an art design that I really didn't enjoy, dialogue that pissed me right off, and a story that I could pretty much guess the whole way through. And at no point was I like, <gasps> I mean, I don't need to be surprised, okay? I, I'll be even... Going back to like the, the Mitchells and the Machines, 
that's an easy story to guess as well. I'm not saying the story itself, but, but the Mitchells and the Machines doesn't need the story because the story is just a staging for the emotional message of the film. This movie, this is an emotional message. I didn't, I was not emoted. I didn't emote, didn't Fortnite dance at the end of this. I, I, I what, what silly salmon? What's, what's a bad, I don't know Fortnite. I, I don't know. I don't, why are you asking me? I play more Fortnite than you too. This is embarrassing. Um, I did a, um, I, I Darth Vader in, he was in like the last season or something. Um, Indiana Jones, that was the same season. It's Futurama now, I think. Is it really? Oh, there is Bender. You can, I got killed by Bender the other day and it didn't shock me. playing Fortnite like currently? Every now and then when my internet is up for it, I do it. Okay. <laughs> but... I'll give actually do what I I did actually enjoy one sequence. I enjoyed the sequence where we finally saw what what I didn't guess was Nimona specifically was the monster, which I know they eventually tell you as well. And even then I thought it was maybe like a bit of a bait and switch type thing, like maybe she's similar to it, but no, she actually is the original monster that they base their whole propaganda around. And you get you she runs away because her and Ballister have the little um argument because there's the typical part with the, the, this part I don't like when Ballister's like, "Oh, you lied to me," <laughs> and she's like, "No, I didn't." He's like, "You're a monster," and then she goes, she gets grumpy, and then she gets offended when he pulls it. He's going to pull out a sword, and it's like, "Look, I see both of your sides, but you're both stupid. Just down and talk." It's this classic sit down and talk thing where, like, if you just sat down and talked, you'd get. Which I get, movies can't do that, but. And I, I, I've, I've forgiven this a lot of times, but you're right. I think at this point I was grumpy with the movie and I was refusing to give it any space. But, but what I did like was after this, she runs off and she sees a well where she saw the person who becomes her friend. And then we see that what actually happened was the villagers tricked her friend into thinking she was a monster. Well, they didn't trick her, just they were just like, he's a monster. And their friend was like, oh, you're a monster in this epic battle. It's not actually an epic battle. It was just one child being indoctrinated into the thinking of a village and going against another child. And I thought that was actually a really good sequence. And I really enjoyed that part because I thought it was animated really well. I actually felt something during that part. The rest of the movie just didn't live up to that section. I, I enjoyed that section too. My favorite portion of the film was um, when they're on the subway and you have that section of animation, which is, it's sort of like a mosaic where it's the tiles of the subway wall and they're um, animating to tell. Sorry, is this when she was telling like her fake backstory? When back she's story? telling her fake backstory to yeah. um, Ballister, I, I really liked the style that they used there. I Like I always, whenever... A film goes and like switches its style to tell like a story within a story. I'm always like, ooh, I'm excited now. But I'd say I'd agree, except I guessed exactly what was going to happen at the end of that freaking interaction. I knew for a fact it was going to be a bit. I knew it was a bit as soon as it started. I mostly just, I really liked the animation style. I thought it was really unique and interesting. No, lament of my criticisms. You're not allowed to say good things. No good things allowed. Stop ignoring me, Max. <laughs> Stop ignoring me. No, you're quite correct. It actually did look really. It did literally look really good. It looked really good, and I I thought it was a really interesting way of like incorporating environment into narrative and like building the world out as well. Which I think was also another thing that was interesting about this film. They did like a lot of um like implicit world building, which I quite liked. Yeah, I thought it was fine. I had no real issues with the world building itself. It, I bought the, the world wasn't my issue, and I bought what like I was shown. So I guess what the movie did was good. I think the way I describe this movie is it was it had showed talent from people who were working in it, but overall, I did not like it. That's basically that's all I have to say. I didn't like this movie, and yeah, maybe one day I will, but right now I do not. So with that. What would you rate it? Uh, I will. Oh, wait, this is not. This joke's not going to make sense because I didn't mention this. I need to quickly mention this so that my joke makes sense. Basically, Netflix has made two How to Train Your Dragon ripoffs because the Sea Beast came out like a year earlier as well, which is also basically a How to Train Your Dragon ripoff. That one was better though. 
because the the beast, the, the toothless character in that didn't talk in Marvel quips. Um, but so my review is two how to train your dragon ripoffs out of five. Well, my ranking, sorry. That would have worked better if I'd managed to slip that piece of knowledge in earlier, but I work with what we've got. <laughs> I gave it three slices of pizza found on the floor of a subway and a crust out of five. Because the crust is a 0.5? The crust is a half. Yeah. Even though it's not really like half a... Yeah, it's like a, like a, a tenth, maybe an eighth. I don't know. But it's like, it, it's a 0.5. I think sake. that part like, of the movie, it grossed me out. Like, insane. Don't eat pizza they, off the ground. They're eating pizza off the floor. It's but really then it touches it as well and it was gross. Yeah, I don't know. It's it yucky. Weird. This has been the Blockbusted Podcast. I've been Mitch. I've been Max. You can send us questions, reviews, and warranted hate mail at blockbustedpotty at gmail.com. Tell me why I'm wrong for disliking the Mona so much. Or tell Max wrong reasons why he's wrong for liking the Mona so much. The real hate mail is that last one. Do the last one. I the real hate mail is hate mails targeted at me. Yeah, targeted at Max. Even though even though I'm not wrong, you're wrong. Agree to disagree. That's blockbustedpotty at gmail.com potty spelled p-o-d-d-i-e make sure to keep busting those blocks and we'll see you next week